Well, good morning again. You'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We are at the very end of our journey through this marvelous book. Next week we start with a series on prayer. Uh, As I told you a couple, three weeks ago now, the direction I had planned on going, uh, the Lord has just been speaking to me about prayer and the need for prayer. Uh, So uh, we changed course and that is okay. Uh, And uh, it's interesting since that time has happened that so many emphasis on prayer have uh, come my way and uh, I mentioned a few moments ago about the uh, pamphlet I got that October uh, 31 days of prayer for our nation Uh, the way it looks now we're going to be in talking about prayer or dealing with certain prayers in the scriptures uh, way into next year so uh, I hope the Lord uses that to teach us. Number one, none of us pray like we ought to. Not not one person prays uh, like we ought to. But just encourages us to be men and women of prayer uh, because it is so important. Well, before we get into our text, our joke of the day is uh, an interesting one. So a little boy was strutting through the backyard, baseball cap in place, toting a ball and bat, and was overheard talking to himself. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Then he tossed the ball into the air and swung at it and missed. Strike one. Undaunted by this, he picked the ball up, threw it in the air again, and saying, I am the greatest batter ever, and swung at the ball and missed a second time. He picked up the ball, looked at it, paused a moment, again said, I'm the greatest Hitter in the world threw the ball up in the air and swung and missed. Strike three. And he said, Wow, I'm the world's best pitcher. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh, Philippians here. For, verse 14 through the end of the chapter says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians knew in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In Paul's closing remarks here, we are seeing that he is expressing to them a a word of thanks 
for the gift that they had sent him. He is expressing a a deep gratitude for their life and their giving. And then he ends this with a very simple benediction. Today I want to focus on the fact that Paul had a heart of thanks, of gratitude for the gift that the people there at Philippi had sent to him. If you recall last week, we talked about the fact that Paul had expressed to us that we needed to be content, that he was content with whatever situation he found himself in. And so now, uh, in this closing words, he is expressing a heart of, of thanks to this church. And I want you to notice, he says, it is something that is very good, that what they had done. Paul was saying that being thankful can help bring a heart of contentment. There's a strong tie between being content with who we are and what we are and what God has given us and having a heart of gratitude. Do you realize that a selfish person is never content? That self-centered individual... Uh, just doesn't find any sort of happiness in life. People who, who are this way have to have their way in everything. You, you know people like that? Don't answer that. That, that. Those individuals have to just have their way. And it has to be exactly like he wants it or she wants it. And if you know people like this, you realize and you know they are never content in life. In fact, if that, if I'm speaking to somebody and that is who you are... I trust you come to grips with that truth that you will never be content if you are selfish, if you focus in on yourself. It is the unselfish person who finds contentment. It's the person who is giving of themselves to others and giving of their time and giving of their money. Those are the ones who find contentment in life. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, we are told love is not self-seeking. We are to be satisfied with who we are. We are to, as Christians, have a sacrificial love. Over in chapter 2, and we talked on this uh, some time back, but over in chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, we see these words, uh, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, Having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not only look only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. When we are people like that, when we are giving of ourselves and of our time and of our money, and we are looking for to help other individuals, we become content in life. And we are generous in life. Now Paul uses the fact that they gave him a gift to tell them that God is the one who will supply their needs. In the Old Testament, God was given many names. We talked about that ages ago. But one of the names that he is given is called Jehovah 
Jehovah Jireh, which means God will supply. That's one of many names. And, and what it says there, and what is using that same terminology or idea here, is that God is a God who meets our needs. And it comes when we can give thanks. When we can have an attitude of gratitude in our lives. He states there in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles. It means it was well that you did this. It was a a noble thing that you did. Literally, it was a beautiful thing that you did in giving to my needs. Is not giving part of being a Christian? You can say yes. That's part of who we are. And Paul is saying to these folks, and he's literally saying to us, by your gift, you are sharing in my ministry. That your giving is blessing the ministry that God has called me to. They literally were sharing in the ministry that Paul was given by God. And we also noticed there that this was not the first time they gave to Paul's ministry. Paul was saying that when I was in Macedonia, no one else gave anything to help. Not another church gave, but you sent a gift to me. Paul, when he remembers the church there at Philippi, we see a man who is very joyous and rejoices in that church. Because they were a blessing to him. They were helping in his ministry. By giving to Paul, they were able to free him to preach the gospel instead of go out and build tents. Their actions of giving were helping Paul. Giving helped meet Paul's needs. When you look at Paul's ministry, he never begged for money. Never. You never see him condemning a church or getting down on a church or beating up a church for their lack of giving. But in his own way, he expressed the fact that they were showing gratitude. He was showing gratitude to them because of what they were doing for others and for him. Right now, our stewardship committee, I call it by the right name, I always want to say other things, but but our stewardship committee is looking at the church budget for next year. Uh, Those of you who don't follow closely uh, our giving, Cornerstone is in the black, has been for three years. Of the 72 churches in Aiken Baptist Association, I would venture to say probably only about 10 others would say they're in the black for the year. That's good. The discussion uh, was, what are we going to do? We're not in the business to, to keep accumulating money. Yes, we need to be responsible with our money. We need to have some on hand to pay bills like any of us do within our home. Or if you're in a business, you, you have to have handle your money responsibly to handle uh, certain issues. But uh, we're not in the habit here of just keeping accumulating for a rainy day. It reminded me of John Bersano said when he went to First Baptist Houston Oh, gracious, 40 years ago. I'd have to count back. 45 years ago when he went down there and uh, church was struggling and, and he looked at the bank account and they had 
no offense, a ton of money in the bank. And he said, what in the world is this? And they say, well, pastor, that's our rainy day fund. And he says, my goodness, it has been pouring for years. Uh, we've been discussing mission organizations and, and how to use God's money to the best benefit uh, here at Cornerstone. Uh, and you look at it and you look at the budget and, and where we're at. We support the Southern Baptist Convention. We're a Southern Baptist church. Out of the general funds that come here, uh, that has given 10% is sent off to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. And with that kind of money, uh, it helps support uh, institutions, so seminaries, the three Christian colleges that are in the state of South Carolina. That money helps support Connie Maxwell's Children Home, which their main campus is up at Greenwood, the youth camps. Uh, that, that money that you give, that this church gives back into a way of a ministry outside ourselves goes to help those things. We give a percentage to the Aiken Baptist Association, which we are a member of. And that helps support the ministries that go on through uh, this association. If you were to take this foundation here today, and I'm going to open it up. Very bottom of the very back under the prayer list, ministries, Cornerstone Baptist Church supports. Uh, every, every month, Bill wears his hand out writing checks for uh, these ministries. We support local missions. We support church starts. We support prison ministries. Uh, and on top of that, you, uh, some of you are out working in ministries in the local community. Again, uh, just won't giving out names, but just uh, this past week, somebody said, well, Pastor, I won't be there to help you with uh, uh, the construction tomorrow because that is my day to work with Acts. I know some of you work with Christ Central. I know there are probably some ministries you're involved in that I don't even know about, and that's wonderful. But we as a church are a church of giving financially, giving of our time, giving of our energies, volunteering so that the good news of Jesus Christ can go out into our world. And Paul says, the giving that you have given me has been paid in full. I am amply supplied. That Your gift is overflowing. It literally, he was saying, it's more than enough to meet my needs. You see, Paul was saying to them, and he's saying to us, as you give, you are giving to support ministries that take the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. I've said this about our church. We are mainly a senior church. Uh, I've discovered that energy does drop off as you get older. And there's things that I can't do anymore that I would love to do and things that I used to do uh, that I do no longer. But I can still write a check and put it in the offering plate or give it to a ministry somewhere, uh, something that I believe in sincerely. That those who are younger and those who have energy and those who have expertise in certain ministries can take Jesus into the world where I can't. We can support those ministries, and we do. And Paul is saying, when you give, when you were giving to him, you are helping in the ministry that God gave him. And Paul said, that's good. 
He also, in talking about this and saying that your giving is good, and it was good for the person who gives. He said, this is accredited to your account. That gift brought joy to Paul, yes. But he was not so much concerned about himself, which did help him. But he was saying, your giving is of a benefit to you, the people of the church at Philippi. Does the Bible not teach us that it is more important or more blessed to give than to receive? Yes, it does. And and if you notice in the midst of this, Paul kind of gives us a little sad note. Doesn't dwell there, but he says, no other church gave support to my ministry except you. Paul said, you bring me joy knowing that you've given to me. But it also comes back to you in that you receive a blessing because of what you have done. It was for their benefit. You know, at times it's hard to be gracious. I think you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's hard to, to receive help from somebody. But when people give, they are blessed. A couple, three weeks ago, Diane and I were out eating and a family in our church was in the same restaurant. And when we were there, it was time. They came over. They were there before we were. And when it was time for them to go, they came over and started talking to us. And at that, during the midst of that conversation, the waitress came and dropped our bill. And uh, this family grabbed the bill and said, I'm going to pay for it. No, 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 no. And it's hard for me to be gracious. But I realized, and I've learned this over the years, that they were doing a ministry to Diane and I. That day, they were giving of themselves to us. And they were more blessed by doing it than we were by not paying our bill that day. There is such a blessing within our giving. And Paul was saying, you're receiving a blessing by what you are doing. And it brought Paul joy knowing that what they were doing was coming right back to them. You see, folks, when we are outward focused as a church and as as individuals, when we are looking to to minister to individuals in any which way we can, the Lord brings back to us a blessing that we do not understand and sometimes we do not see. And so when Paul was saying to them, this was credit to your account, he is saying, I am thankful that you have received a blessing because of what you are doing. Is that not true when you give? Is that not true when you assist in a ministry? When when somebody says, I want to help you? Or when you say to somebody, I will help you, I will... You're blessed. And sometimes we need to learn how to be gracious and, and accept a gift from someone else. Because their life is enriched when we graciously accept What they want to do for us. Paul says you met my need. Now God is going to bless your life. Most of the time those blessings are spiritual versus physical. And and we can look at scriptures uh, that talk about this. Proverbs 11. 
24 and 25. It says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes into poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Going to Proverbs 19, 17, it says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 28, 27 says, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Luke 8, excuse me, 638. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be given and measured to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We, we can't outgive God. The more we give, the more He blesses. And giving is good for the giver. I, I need to take a side time out here. If you give expecting God to give back to you, don't do it. It doesn't mean he won't give us things. And it doesn't mean he doesn't give back. But if we give with the motive that God's going to give me something, you lost already. But when you have a heart of, of gratitude, when you are thankful... When you give out of love, when you give out of a need, when you are there to, to help somebody, when you are there to serve somebody, God in His generosity and His riches will reward you and me. It's all in the motive. God will bless each of us. How He will do it, I don't know. And in ways, how He does it, I don't know. And I'm not sure, and it doesn't matter, but He will touch our lives. He will reward us when we least expect it. So it was not, not only good for Paul, it was good for them that gave, and it's also good for God. Isn't that interesting? Verse 18 says, there is this fragrant offering that is going up to God that pleases God. Now this comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, this comes, uh, and I'm going to oversimplify this. There were two kinds of sacrifices, animal sacrifices. The one was for sin, where the blood of an innocent was shed for those who were guilty so that they could be forgiven. And you and I know that the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ was that last perfect sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifice had to be with a perfect animal. But Jesus Christ, the perfect human, came into this world, died, shed his blood on the cross for us so that you and I can be forgiven. That final sacrifice never, ever needing to be done again. And you know, that it was. he said it is finished when it ended that cross, knowing that what he had done was the perfect sacrifice. He sat down next to God the Father. And no need for sacrifices needed to be done again. There was that blood sacrifice. And there was the sacrifice that we will call a worship or a praise sacrifice. This was a one that was just given to say, God, how thankful I am you are God. It was a, a sweet smell to the Lord as it was being offered. A fragrant aroma. And it went up to heaven 
And God the Father was pleased with that. And what Paul is saying to us is that when you and I give, whether it's money, whether it's of our time, whether it's of our talents, whatever it is, when we give to Him, there is that wonderful fragrance that God receives from what we do. Our service to the Lord. And there are many kinds of sacrifices that we can make. There are many ways that we can serve Him with giving of ourselves. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He is saying that he literally, who he wanted to be and his goals in life were literally crucified with Christ. And he was now Christ's servant. He gave of himself. We are told in Romans chapter 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Again, we as Christians are to offer ourselves in service to the Lord. The writer of the Hebrews put it this way in chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. He says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, fruit of the lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You, you, you notice in that we are to sacrifice our bodies and who we are and our goals in life. We are to sacrifice our time and our money and, and, and within our witness and, and, and with our words. And, 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 and giving all this is a sacrifice that is made unto God that He is pleased with. Now when we talk about giving, the question always comes up. Preacher, are we to tithe? And I always give them one beautiful answer. Yes and no. Then I cover it all. The tithe, I'm told, is of the law. And God chastised Israel. He says in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. He says, when you don't tithe, you rob God. New Testament, though, as 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for love of God, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we do have a problem, and I do, not want, to talk, I do want to talk about it. The tithe was started before the law was given. You go back to Genesis chapter 14. Verse 20 says, Abraham gave to him a tenth of everything. And he gave the, a gift to the king of Salem. A lot of Bible scholars believe this was Adam's son, Shem. It was that far back. And, and the king was Melchizedek. Whether that's true or not, uh, about the Shem's being Noah's son is the, the same one's immaterial. But, but Abraham, before the law, gave a tenth in honor of of God to God's king, the priest, Melchizedek. Jacob promised God the same thing there at Bethel, at Genesis 28, verse 22. And it says, For all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. When he was heading over, uh, running away from his family, he says, Lord, if you bring me back to this place, and he did 20 years later, he says, I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. So giving and giving a tithe, giving a tenth, is a, a, 
an action of gratitude to the Lord. And I believe, and I'm, I'm going to say this with all sincerity, and I want you to hear me clearly this morning, that all giving starts with the tithe. If you're not tithing today, you need to ask yourself why. Because we're not under law, so we're not under the demand and duty to do so. But we are under love. And the New Testament, every time God gives us a standard in the New Testament, it is higher and greater than under the law. We do it, again, going back to the whole theme here, we do it out of gratitude. We give it out of thanksgiving unto the Lord. I want to just give a personal testimony. If my wife throws a hymn book at me, uh, you know why. But 22 years ago when we met, both of us didn't have two nickels to rub together. We, we had debt. We brought debt into our marriage. But we committed ourselves when we got married. We were going to give $100 a month to the church there at Sweetwater. We didn't know where $100 was coming from at that point in time. We had her property to pay for, my property to pay for. We had vehicles to pay for. We had, we just, we were a mess. But we started giving $100 a month. I don't know how long that lasted. But before long, it was, we were able to give $200 a month. And as time went on, and as he allowed us to get our finances together, and as we followed some very good biblical principles by Dave Ramsey, by the way, he's still out there. Uh, if you're struggling with finances, you find him and listen to him. You get his books, and there's other good books out there. I don't mean to say there are or not. But we started listening to him. We started reading his books, Financial Peace, and we got to the place where a tithe was what we were able to give. And then we were able to give more and able to give more and able to give more. When you get your finances in order, and some of you understand this, when there are, a need arises, you don't ask, do we have money to do this with? The question is, how much can we give? That is a wonderful place to be, folks. A tremendous place to be. And the Bible tells us he will bless us in proportion of what we give. You cannot outgive God. He will reward you, not always financially, but he will reward you. He will pay you back. And today, Diane and I are comfortable. And I'll use those words. We're comfortable. We have a nice house. We drive a cheap car, but it's a decent car. God takes care of us. I have met so many people over the years. And I'm, and when I was a young pastor, I was arrogant. Not so much so anymore. I can get there. But I remember one man saying to me, and I probably have told you this. Preacher, I can't afford to tithe. And I said to him, those cost you 50 cents a pack. You're smoking three packs a day. You quit that filthy habit. You got your tithe. We have, when we can't give to the Lord's work, it usually means we have our priorities mixed up.
God will supply. Verse 19, he tells us that God takes care of us. And his main blessings to us are spiritually speaking. Uh, The greatest blessing God has brought into my life next to Diane is the fact that I'm pastoring Cornerstone Baptist Church. He will supply our needs. He will give us what we need. God says, I will give you, I will provide for your needs when you are out there helping other people in their needs. Paul was saying to that church, you're giving to my needs. Now, God is blessing you and God is giving back to you. He will supply your needs. Now, folks, don't ever take this promise out of context. God is not obligated to give to us anything unless we are involved with meeting the needs of other people. By the way, did you notice how Paul addresses this in verse 19? He says, and my God. He's talking about his personal God. He's talking about the God who he has a relationship with. He is talking about the fact that he's been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he now has a relationship with God. And he's talking about doing what he does with regards to the fact that God is his God. You see, folks, you have a need this morning. You turn to the God who can meet that need. As simply as I know how to put it, if you're here today and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you would split hell wide open if you were to die today, you need to have salvation. You can't wait any longer. Our brother Carl didn't know he was going to die yesterday morning, but he did. None of us are guaranteed another day on earth. You need salvation. God is more than willing to give that to you through faith in Jesus Christ. You need strength to face the trials that come to your life today. God will give you the strength to meet those trials and those tribulations that come. Are you a lonely individual? Well, God is the God of comfort and he will bring peace into your life at the time of your need. You're discouraged this morning. God is a God of encouragement. He will meet that need. Paul says, my God. He wasn't talking about just any old God. He wasn't talking about a God that's out there somewhere. He wasn't talking about a God that was made out of stone or wood. He was talking about the God who is created. In fact, he didn't even call him the God creator or the true God. He says, my God. He made it very personal. He was very specific. The one who revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus. Paul was very clear in his teachings 1 Corinthians 8, 4 says, We know that all an idol is, is nothing. And there is only no God but one. Do you know, if you live long enough, this is going to happen, the United States is going to go through another depression, and if you're leaning upon the government at that time, your world is going to fall apart. But if your faith is in the Lord and trusting Him, He will supply what you need. Faith in any kind of government will will disappoint you. The Bible tells us we are joint heirs with Jesus and all that Jesus has is ours because we're a child of the King.
Paul said over in Ephesians 1, 3, he says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you get that? Every spiritual blessing. Peter, writing his second letter in chapter 1, verse 3, says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Sermon on the Mount, we are told to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You see, what we need, our God will supply. You and I will be content You and I can have a life of gratitude because we know that we serve a God who is supplying our need. My God. I had a question for you as we wrap this up this morning. Can you say that the God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so we could have salvation... Is He your God? Is He your God? Could you say that my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus? Can you, can you say that? To be in God's family doesn't mean you're born into this human race. We have to be born again. We have to have a spiritual birth. The Bible lets us know that we are all Sinners destined to hell. We have our sin separates us from God. And until that is dealt with by Jesus, we are hopelessly lost. Jesus came into this world. He was the perfect sacrifice to die for us on that cross. He died in my place. He died in your place on that cross. And any time we put our faith in Him and what He did... And ask for His forgiveness for the sins we know we've committed. We will be born into God's family. The Bible is so very true and clear to us in that. That there's only one God. Jesus said it so clearly in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He is the only way of salvation. There is no other way. No other way. I want you to note one last thing here, that Paul ends his book with grace. He started the book talking about grace, and he ends with grace. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God. And and Jesus Christ died on that cross when we didn't deserve it. But he died in our place. Do you understand that? Do you know that? And have you turned to him? Have you put your faith in Him? We serve a marvelous God. A God who we can just express our thanks to Him in so many ways. And if you haven't turned to Him in salvation, today is the day you need to do that. No better time than right now. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation here. I ask you to stand and, and sing number 441. And if the Lord has spoken to you, do not be afraid to come and see me at the front. Shall we stand?
is merciful.